Hello, my name is Carmen Lave Jenkins and I'm the Managing Editor of the International Journal of Stroke. In the following podcast, I interview Gabrielle de Weber, who is the main author of the World Stroke Academy module, Clinical Identification of Vascular Stroke Syndrome in Children. She is a paediatric neurologist at the Hospital for Sick Children in Canada. In this podcast, I'll be speaking to Gabrielle about the differential diagnosis for stroke in children, explaining a stroke mimic, and asking her what kind of complications a stroke mimic can cause when diagnosing and treating paediatric stroke. Why is there a differential diagnosis for stroke in children? In children, stroke presents differently than it does in adults for the most part. Newborns with stroke, for example, have two different ways of presenting. One is seizures in the first few weeks of life at the time of a fresh stroke. That would be acute neonatal stroke, known more as hemiplegic cerebral palsy. And those are children who present with progressive evidence of a hemiparesis usually in the second half of the first year of life as the brain develops. And somebody does an imaging study at that time and finds an old, on a CT or an MRI, finds an old um, infarct, an old stroke that must have occurred either in the prenatal period or at the time of birth. So the differential diagnosis, if you know newborns and how their brains function, seizures are very common in the newborn and they are very nonspecific. Seizures in a newborn could be a sign of any general disturbance, any diffuse insult, or also focal seizures can represent a focal infarct. In older infants and children, subtle signs of neurologic problems are very common at the onset of stroke. And focal signs like acute onset hemiparesis or speech disorder are definitely seen but they're not seen in any more than about 80% of older infants and children with stroke. So the classic signs of stroke that we expect in an adult can be seen in children, but they're not always there. So what that means is that these presentations, uh, first off, they can be misdiagnosed Uh, because some people are not aware of childhood stroke. So when a child presents with hemiparesis or a sudden onset of speech disorder, the first problem is that people might wrongly attribute that to seizures or hemiplegic migraine headache. So that's the first problem. And the second problem is that children with definite stroke don't always appear with the typical stroke signs. So what all that means is that the physician and the nurse and the other people who are caring for these children have to keep it uppermost in their mind that children can have stroke. And so when they see what they would consider to be a stroke in an older person showing up in a three to four-year-old, for example, they need to think about stroke first and other conditions second and do the appropriate neuroimaging. So once you've got a diagnosis of stroke, how do you screen for the causes? Well, 50% of children who present with stroke already have a known medical problem, either a meningitis, for example, with a head and neck infection, or maybe a chronic disorder like lupus in an adolescent, 
so in those children, it's much easier to find the cause because you have the most obvious cause already known to you, and that's that medical problem. But even in those children, you need to continue looking for mechanisms that might have caused the stroke because 50% of children actually have multiple causes for stroke at the same time. So clotting disorders are something we screen for routinely, even if we have an obvious cause for stroke. The other 50% of children who present with a fresh first stroke are children who are previously well and who are not believed to have any medical problems. And in those children, we really look at three categories of causes. The first is arteriopathy, or a disorder attacking the arterial wall. This could be something like mechanical trauma, um, including dissection, or it could be an inflammatory attack on the wall, such as post-varicella angiopathy or vasculitis, or it could be a spasm condition. But these are disorders that primarily affect the arterial wall and secondarily cause a thrombosis and occlusion of that disorder at that site. The second big category outside of arteriopathies in older children is cardiac disease. So one in four children with stroke are actually a child with congenital or acquired heart disease. Most of the time, those problems are already known, but you do run across children where you only find the problem when you do a cardiac echo at the time of the stroke. So that's the second category of conditions that we search for by doing a cardiac echo. Um, so now we've got arteriopathy, which is investigated for with vascular imaging, and MR angiogram is a good screen, but we occasionally need to go to conventional angiogram uh, because MR angiogram often overdiagnoses stenosis. If there's turbulent flow, it might look like there's occlusion or stenosis in the artery. So arteriopathy, cardiac, and then the third category is intravascular or hematologic problems. And here, uh, race might be a clue if you're um, looking at African-American or other patients at risk for sickle cell disease, and that's an important one to look for. All children, especially young children um, in late infancy from six months to three years of age, should be looked for uh, for iron deficiency because iron deficiency anemia is a uh, another factor that causes stroke in children. And then, as mentioned before, prothrombotic disorders such as a protein C or protein S deficiency or an inherited factor V Leiden or prothrombin gene abnormality. And there are other ones that we also search for, lipoprotein little a, homocysteine, and a number of others. And these we do in all children with stroke and newborns because often they are a predisposing cause, even if something else may have triggered the stroke. So what are the differences in the treatment of spasticity and other signs? When a child has spasticity, the like an adult with spasticity, the primary treatment is physiotherapy and occupational therapy to help them obtain full function as much as possible of the affected arm and leg. Spasticity, in general, there are medications that can treat it, but they have side effects such as sedation. 
facilitation approach to spasticity is to try and reduce the tone in the affected limbs. And this is a specialized skill that physiotherapists have. And so what are the differences in, in the treatment? Well, the difference in the treatment are that when you treat a child with weakness on one side of their body that's spastic, the outcomes could be different than when you treat an adult. In an adult, you're treating somebody with a fully formed brain and everything's developed to its mature state at the time of the stroke and the spasticity follows a very predictable course where it develops um, within a first week or so after the acute stroke and then it remains persistent for months and years after that. In the child where the brain is still developing, the spasticity may not appear until later, uh, many months after the stroke has occurred. And the spasticity may not be as responsive to the treatment for adults. Why is it not as responsive? Why is it less responsive? Yep. Well, I don't know why, actually, but I know that in some ways the same techniques that work in adults are not as effective in children. The converse is also true where children um, can benefit from some of the techniques that have been shown in adults. The best example of that is constraint-induced therapy, where one side of the body is encouraged to use the arm and the hand that's weak from the stroke. And in doing that sort of therapy, the unaffected side or the unaffected hand is either bound to the side of the body or a cast is placed on the hand to try and prevent the child from preferentially using that hand, and then they are able to use the other side increasingly, and they're encouraged to use the other side, and this brings back some function. But that is mainly a treatment for weakness, uh, not as much for spasticity. So spasticity remains a problem with increased tone. Um, Botox is one treatment that we use in children that is less frequently used in adults. It's a temporary three to six months um, effect, but used by the proper professionals who know what they're doing, they can sometimes bring more function into the affected limb by reducing the tone through giving Botox injections to selected muscle groups. So overall, I don't think spasticity is treated tremendously different in children and adults. I think it takes on a different character in children than in adults um, and a different tempo in terms of when it appears after stroke. So what is the rehabilitation for potential for children with stroke? The rehabilitation potential for children with stroke is a mixed picture, I think. There are some things going for the child which make the outcome potentially better. We do observe overall that children have a better outcome than adults. And so the old adage that children have better plasticity seems to hold. But we also see that children with stroke and deficit uh, sometimes have a very difficult time learning how to do things well. That may be why they benefit so much from constraint-induced therapy, because they are not as fully aware of all of their limbs 
at the time of stroke as an adult would be. So if you think about having a stroke when you're 30 years old versus when you're three years old, when you're 30 years old, your rehabilitation is focused on relearning skills that you once had. Whereas for the three-year-old or the younger infant, uh, after a stroke, you're learning to do skills that you never really had. So there's no relearning about it. You're having to learn things for the first time, but with a limb that's not working properly. So that does seem to create some challenges, and it may be why children respond so particularly well to constraint-induced therapy. So can you explain what a stroke mimic is? Yes, a stroke mimic is something that occurs in the brain of a child that looks like a stroke, but when you do the imaging, which is the MRI scan, you find no stroke there. And the most common mimics are hemiplegic migraine and epilepsy problems, but there are other ones that are less common that also come into the differential diagnosis. We know from work done in, at CHOP, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, by Renee Shellhouse and um, colleagues that 30% of children who present with what looks like a stroke actually have some other diagnosis. Uh, but you don't know that at the time that you first examine them. It's very difficult to tell them apart clinically by history or physical exam. You really need that imaging, MRI scanning, to uh, confirm whether it is or isn't a stroke. Do they present in children and adults in the same way? I think it is much less likely in an adult who presents with acute stroke. It's much less likely that they are having a stroke mimic. Yes, adults can have hemiplegic migraine. Yes, they can have seizure problems that look like, like stroke. But um, it is much less common in adults than it is in children. Um, in children, as I said, it's 30%. I'm sure it's nowhere near that in adults. It might be 10 to 15%. Um, and so the need to confirm that weakness on one half of the body is actually a stroke in a child is much greater than the need in an adult where you're much, just playing the odds, you're much more likely to have a stroke underneath that weakness. So what kind of complications does the stroke mimic cause when diagnosing? Well, one of the biggest complications is that it's very difficult to get the diagnosis clinically, first because people don't consider stroke in childhood um, at the top of their list. There's still a big challenge with awareness, both in emergency rooms as well as in outpatient clinics. And so when a child presents with a stroke, sometimes it's misdiagnosed as just a, a problem with the joint or the muscle. For example, a child limping due to a sudden onset stroke might be misdiagnosed as having a, a sprained ankle, especially a young child where they're not able to give you a full history. What is the future for stroke medicine and pediatrics? Well, I think in some ways pediatric stroke treatments are benefiting from the work that has gone before in adult stroke treatment. So um, neuroprotective care, TPA, anticoagulants and antiplatelet medication, and the treatment of seizures and other complications of stroke to some extent can borrow information from adults. But 
the big challenge is that children are not little adults, and the medications that are proven to be effective in adults and proven to be safe may not be safe or effective in childhood. Even if they are, the dose uh, intensity that's required in children might be different. The biggest future, I think, is going to be in neuroprotective care because unlike adults, children are not managed in stroke units generally. We don't have stroke units in pediatric hospitals, nor could we justify having stroke units because children with stroke are much less common. But the early consideration when a child presents with what might be a stroke, the early consideration of neuroprotective care, which is aggressive treatment of fever, seizures, and making sure that the blood pressure does not drop as well as making sure that the blood sugar is in a normal range and watching very closely for deterioration in the neurologic status in those first 24, 48, 72 hours. Those are things that I think we have a big gap in still and I think that's going to be our biggest and most effective treatment. In adults, as you may know, the most effective treatment is not TPA nor any other um, medication in acute stroke, it's actually treatment in a stroke unit. So I think in terms of minimizing the damage once the stroke has, has happened, that's where most of our uh, benefit is probably going to lie. The second part is going to be in refining what types of treatment should be given to prevent early recurrence as well as long-term recurrence. At the moment, we really don't have good evidence one way or the other for aspirin versus anticoagulants, although we know that both are safe in children relative to adults. So I think the future is going to be randomized controlled trials looking at anticoagulants versus aspirin, probably stratifying for children with arteriopathy versus children with other causes for stroke. You've been listening to a podcast interview with Dr. Gabrielle Deveva and Carmel F. Jenkins from the International Journal of Stroke. This podcast is a WSA, World Stroke Academy, publication. The World Stroke Academy is the educative arm of the World Stroke Organization. Please consider becoming a member.